Amen. That may be my favorite Christmas carol, the end. And when Scott sings it, as he often does here, wow, that's just, that just makes my Advent season. Of course, we are in the Advent season, and I know you know that, but if you are a Baptist, you probably have vague ideas about what Advent is. Let's face it, Baptists don't do the church year. So we know that Advent comes before Christmas, but we're not quite sure exactly what it is. Well, I'm about to tell you. Advent begins the fourth Sunday before Christmas, and it's that entire season up till Christmas Day. And then, as you've heard from the song, Christmas is actually 12 days long in the church calendar. It's not one day, it's 12 days, and it always goes then to January 6th, which is Epiphany. And that is the day in which the church in the West uh, commemorates the coming of the Magi who came to see the infant Jesus. And the church in the East observe um, special or have special uh, thoughts for the baptism of Jesus. So that's epiphany. So Advent begins the fourth Sunday before. Now, I know you Methodists here, you already got this down, right? And we've got some folks with Catholic backgrounds, Episcopal backgrounds. I know you already know this, but we're Baptists. We're on the remedial plan. So I'm just setting it out for you. Now, you might wonder, where does the word Advent come from? It comes from Adventus, which in medieval Latin means um, appearance or arrival. And what's interesting is it refers to the first appearance of Jesus, but also his second appearance. In fact, early on, the church put more emphasis on the returning Christ, his second advent, than the first during this season. But now, we look both backwards and forwards. We look back at the birth of Christ and his ministry here among us, and preeminently his death at Calvary and his resurrection, and we look forward to his return when he will establish his kingdom on earth. Now, this morning, as we do each year during Advent, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And it occurred to me this week that the Lord's Supper perfectly aligns with Advent. Think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, what do we do? We proclaim what? The Lord's death. That's associated with this first advent. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That puts the focus on his second advent. Just as this season points us back and forward, so the Lord's Supper points us back and forward. And so I want us to reflect for a few minutes on the Lord's Supper. And I want to turn to a passage that you wouldn't normally turn to when in the Advent season, but in this case, I think it fits because it is this looking backwards and forwards. It's Luke chapter 22. There are four passages <clears throat> in the New Testament 
that report what Jesus did with his disciples on that last night when they observed the, the Passover, what we often call the Last Supper. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. John doesn't give an account of that. He does talk to us. He does t report to us of how Jesus spent time with his disciples, things that he said to his disciples, but he doesn't actually depict this Last Supper. Now, I want to turn to Luke's passage because he says a couple of things that are unique that you won't find in Mark or Matthew or even in Paul. And I want us to focus on those. So, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. <clears throat> when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's, there's a play on words here. The word for suffer is Pasco. The word for Passover is Pascha. So he's playing on the words. I've, I wanted to eat this Pascha with you before I Pasco. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. One of the unique things about Luke's account here is this emphasis on you. Jesus has given his body over for you, he says, looking at his disciples. He has spilled his blood for you. In Mark, in Matthew, it says that he's done it for many, not many as opposed to all, but many as opposed to few, that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for many, the whole world, in fact. But Luke wants us to understand that it's not just for the whole world. This isn't just some theological truth. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he has given his life for them, for you, he says. And by extension, when we read it, we need to recognize it's for each one of us. Now, this Last Supper is a Passover meal. That's very clear from Luke's account. And so Jesus observes this Passover with his disciples. And we're not given all the details of it, but, but we know roughly what went on when they ate the Passover meal, and we know why they ate it. The Passover commemorated the time when Israel was led by God out of the bondage of Egypt into the, through the Red Sea on their way to the Promised Land. It was a great deliverance, a miraculous deliverance. And so, Ever after that event, Israel looked back to the Exodus as the time when God rescued them, delivered them, and made them his own people. Now, of course, the Passover was observed 
uh, to commemorate that. It was a remembrance meal. And by remembrance, it doesn't mean just remember it happened. It means that you remember it and you appropriate it to yourself. The rabbis used to teach people, by the way, when they observed the Passover, that they weren't just talking about people in the past being part of the Passover. You were there, they would say. You were there. They wanted them to identify with the people of God who were delivered from Egypt. And so it's a matter of remembering and appropriating this truth. And this Passover came to refer not simply to the deliverance from Egypt, but this is very interesting, to the final deliverance that God would bring to the world. Because the prophet said that God would come and he would restore the entire creation. And one of the images that was used for this restoration was of a banquet. There would be this, this meal where God would gather all his people and there would be this celebration. It was considered or called the messianic banquet. And it was associated with the Passover. Everything that the Passover represented would be fulfilled in this messianic banquet, which, as I said, was a picturesque way of God describing redemption accomplished. So Jesus calls his disciples together and he shares this Passover with them. And they had done this year by year by year as faithful Jews. But now he says to them, this is the last time I will eat of this Passover until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. See, he's, he's talking about the messianic feast. He's saying that this is it for me until the kingdom of God comes. And he means when he returns, that's when he'll eat it again. His disciples, they may eat it again, but he won't. He won't because he is going to his death. And that's when he does some things that had to surprise his disciples because they don't fit in the Passover meal at all. He doesn't say anything about the, the lamb that was slain or anything of that sort. Instead, he calls attention to the bread and calls attention to the cup. He speaks of the bread and he says, this is my body. It's given for you. And he distributes it to them. And he tells them to eat. His body is given. And then he takes the cup. This is the blood of the new covenant, he says. Now, in the, in the Passover meal, the, the cup of wine was not considered blood. But Jesus says, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, or as it says in Luke here, the blood of the new covenant. And he gives that to them and they are to drink. This picture of his body being given and his blood being poured out is a picture of sacrifice. And whenever a covenant was made in the ancient world, and certainly in Israel, there was a sacrifice that would accompany it. The sacrifice would seal that covenant. And so Jesus says, here is my body, here is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. In my blood is what he's talking. It's sealed by my blood. And so he's, he's teaching them about what he's doing now. Now it's no longer the first exodus. 
There is a new work of salvation that's taking place. It's a new covenant. Now, when the Jews thought of a covenant and they thought of the blood of the covenant, they would naturally think back to Exodus chapter 24. That's where Moses, as God's representative, made a covenant with Israel. And he gave them the words of God and they said, we will obey everything that God says. (laughs) Famous last words. We'll obey everything God says. And Moses offered a sacrifice and he sprinkled half the blood on the altar and then he sprinkled the blood on the people. That was the sacrifice that sealed that covenant. And Israel was now God's people and God was their God. But Israel was unfaithful to that. Time and again, they were unfaithful. This old covenant couldn't hold together, not because there was something wrong with it, but because there was something wrong with the people. And so Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant that was going to come. And what's unique about Luke's account of the Lord's words is that he uses that term in verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Mark doesn't say that. Matthew doesn't say that. Luke tells us that, the new covenant. There is no place in the Bible, that is in the Old Testament, no place where it speaks of new covenant except in Jeremiah 31. So there's no doubt that's what Jesus is referring to. And what he's saying is, I am offering myself as a sacrifice to seal a new covenant that's going to be different than the old covenant under Moses. How is it different? Well, first, he says, in this covenant, this, he's, this is Jeremiah now, Jeremiah 31, where, where there's a new covenant that's going to be offered. First, this covenant is different because God will write his law on the hearts of the people. If you put up that verse, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. See, the problem for Israel was God gave them Torah. He gave them a law to obey and they couldn't obey it. So there needed to be a new covenant where God is more active, where God works more powerfully within the hearts of the people to where he inscribes the law on their hearts so that now they are inclined to obey. When Jesus talks about the new covenant, he's thinking about this and he's thinking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that will be poured out, that will change our hearts, that will change us on the inside, we'll be born again. There'll be an inner renewal so that we're inclined to do God's will. It's not that you can't sin, but you can't ever sin with your whole heart again. Not if you're a Christian, because there's always that sense of what God wants inside. Here's how you might think about it. Um, I, was, I was pleased when I walked in. For some reason, I was thinking we wouldn't have the orchestra this week. I was thinking last week was the, the last one. We had the orchestra, had the choir. I thought, that's fantastic. I didn't realize we were going to have them. And every week, I'm so amazed by, by their skill. I mean, just the, 
the music is so beautiful. And just the, everybody on stage, as they lead us in worship, I'm always amazed. And, and on Mondays, we'll, some of the staff will sit down, we'll talk through the service, and, and I'll listen to Gary, or I'll listen to Art, and they talk about different elements, and, and they talk about things I don't even understand. And, and they talk about things I haven't heard. You know, Gary will say, well, yeah, we had this little problem right here, and he'll identify some, something that, you know, I guarantee I never heard it. I mean, you've got to have an ear for these things, right? All these folks on the stage, they have these skills where they play these musical instruments so beautifully, and they sing so beautifully. And I know that they've trained, but you have to have some talent. You have to have an ear to hear it, right? You have to have a gift that goes with it. You can develop that talent, but you have to have talent. Now, my, my experience has been people who are musically talented don't think that's necessary. They say, oh, no, you have talent. Now, I assure you, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I don't hear the things. I mean, when, when I talk with, every time I talk with Gary about anything like this, I always realize I don't hear what he hears. We're on two different planets, you know? So I don't have that same capacity in me. So I could practice, 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 and I'd reach some level of proficiency, but I'm not going to be really good. I can't, I don't have it in me. Now you might feel the same way. What if, what if God were to do a miracle and he renews my eardrums and rewires my brain and does something to these vocal cords. What if God does a miracle and now I have it in me? Well, I'm not going to just pick up an instrument and start playing it like a master, right? I still have to learn. I have a new capacity but I still have to enact that. I have to discipline myself, learning how to play. Now, I'll be more likely to do it probably because I'll hear things I hadn't heard before. I think that's beautiful. I wonder if I could do that. And I'll be inclined to try and, and I'll discover that, you know, I can really do this. And that's encouraging. And I'll get better and better. I mean, God did this miracle. But it's also possible that I would say, well, you know, I don't care about that. If I've got to work for it, I don't want to do it. I have the capacity, but I don't want to develop the skill. Well, in the same way, when we receive Christ, we are born again, and God changes us on the inside. We really are different, and we have this inclination to obey God. We have the ability to hear God to recognize his voice as we read scripture. We, we have this spiritual sense that we didn't have before and this inclination that we didn't have before. And the normal way that works itself out is we begin to learn, we begin to grow and we change, we become more like Jesus. But it's not automatic and it doesn't happen all at once. But there is a new capacity in us. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's always possible that for some reasons, something's out of kilter and, and I don't learn to work out my faith. 
That's always possible. You find people who, who appear to be converted, and yet, and yet they don't seem to get serious about their faith. We don't quite know how to, how to interpret that. But the normal Christian life is different. And so when Jesus talks about the new covenant, he's talking about an inner renewal. That's what Israel lacked, and that's what Christians, followers of Jesus, have. That is, if you've truly become a follower of Jesus, if you've got more than churchianity and you have Christianity in your life, then you have that inner renewal. And there is in your heart this inclination to follow Christ and the ability to do it, God helping you. That's part of the new covenant. Jesus also says that this new covenant in his blood you know, he doesn't say it. He refers back to the new covenant in his blood. And, and Jeremiah says that it involves forgiveness. So once again, in Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You know, you can't have a relationship with any person unless there's forgiveness in that relationship. Isn't that right? You really can't have a relationship because we do wrong to one another. We hurt one another. We have to be able to forgive or we can't have a relationship. In the same way, we can't have a relationship with God unless there's forgiveness. I suppose we could say there are times we have to forgive God. God does nothing wrong, but where we have to, you know, we have to let go of some resentment we have toward God if he allows something to happen. But more to the point here, God has to forgive us. If God doesn't forgive us, there can be no relationship. But part of the new covenant is forgiveness and God remembering our sins no more. That means truly putting them away, just putting them away so we can be in relationship with him. Some years ago, um, we had a small hairline split in the hose to our wash machine. It wasn't much, but it was enough for the water to start spraying out. And it, I don't know how long it went before it was discovered. Were we home, Linda? Were, we, were, we were running it when we weren't home. Is that right? You don't remember? It was a long time ago, wasn't it? The water starts spraying out, and it, however long it was, it filled the house. I mean, water everywhere. And, you know, the wood floors, they were, they were goners. And the carpet, you know, the carpet's all wet. And so we got those, those dryers that you bring in, you know, you set them, they're real loud and they're blowing air over that, trying to dry everything out. What a mess. And after, after a couple of days, everything was dry, but it smelled terrible. You know what I'm talking about? You walk in, and oh, it's all musty, the mildew or mold or whatever it is. It smells terrible. The guy who brought out the fans, I said, what are, you, what are we supposed to do? I mean, this, this carpet, it smells terrible. Because well, you can go to, go to this store and uh, you can buy this stuff called Microban. I saw you can buy it now, just any retail store, but at that time you couldn't. So this was like secret information I had. <laughs> So I went and I got this big old jug of microban 
and, and I sprayed the carpet with it. And listen, it kills everything. Any mold, any mildew, any bacteria, it kills everything. I sprayed that stuff over the carpet and it was gone. The air was cleared. When we talk about God's forgiveness, when we talk about God's forgiveness, he forgives our sins and remembers them no more. The air is cleared. Have you ever had a situation where Someone said they forgived you, but you knew they didn't. And it was just sitting there in the air, all that tension. That isn't the way it works with God. The air is clear. There's no residue left. And so forgiveness, that's part of the new covenant. So Jesus tells his disciples that he is giving his body he is giving his blood. That is, he is offering himself as a sacrifice. And that sacrifice seals a new covenant. The only new covenant he could be talking about is the one that Jeremiah talked about. And it was the one that included inner renewal and forgiveness of sins. That makes a relationship possible. And that enables you to live a different kind of life. That takes care of the past, the sins you've committed, and gives you hope for the future. Here we are once again, looking back and looking forward. And it's because of that, we look back on what Christ has done, that we're able to look expectantly over what Christ will do. He will come, and he will establish his kingdom. So we're going to eat the bread and drink the cup, remembering the Lord's death, his first advent, he came and died for our sins. He sacrificed himself that we might be born again and that we might experience forgiveness so we can have a relationship with him. And we're going to do it knowing that one day we will be with him forever and ever. That's our joy and that's our hope. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving yourself for us, your body, your blood, offering yourself as a sacrifice that we might know forgiveness and that way we might have our hearts transformed and changed. And Lord, during this Advent season, we know that truly is, that's really what this time between the Advents, Lord, the first and second coming, that's what this time is about, knowing your forgiveness and knowing the power of your spirit working in our lives. And we ask that you would, in these moments, do a deep work in each one of us. Do a deep work in each one of us that we might know you better. Amen.